a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. From Jordan Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the Recruiting Trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle or War Eagle? That's it. War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. Hey everybody, this is Brandon Marcello, your host of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Thanks for joining me. As we always do in the early week podcast, we take a questions. So without further ado, I'm not going to talk about what happened this weekend with basketball, baseball, softball, football. I'm just going to get to your questions because that's what matters um, in these early week episodes. So let's just get right to it. We're going to start with the questions from our VIP subscribers on the body get a message board at Auburn 24-7 Sports. We start with Harris 7 What caused you to put your crystal ball prediction in for Jalen Green? Um, most of you know Jalen Green is a five-star combo guard out of uh, the Napa area in California. He's been considering Auburn for a while, Memphis um, as well, and Oregon. Um, I know uh, our Jerry Meyer with 24-7 Sports put in a crystal ball on the same day I did. I didn't do mine until later. Um, But I saw him do it, and I was like, you know what? I need to go ahead and put my crystal ball in based off of conversations I had based on last Thursday, last Friday. Um. I think at this moment, Auburn's got all the momentum for Jalen Green. And unless he decides to go pro, which based off of an interview he did recently, that's not an an option for him right now, which you're like, we can't go pro, we can't go to the NBA. Well, I mean, go overseas. He's Apparently, there was rumor out there he might go overseas. Apparently, that's not the option. So anyway, based on conversations I've had, um, his relationship with Sharif Cooper all the way across the – United States, I think I think Auburn's in a very good position. Um, I could change my pick, of course. Doesn't mean Auburn's going to be getting him, but I will say this: if they were to get Jalen Green, he's the he would be the highest rated signee in Auburn basketball history since you know recruiting rankings started back in the late night late late twentieth century, heading into the two thousands. Um, uh, of course, I want to say he's the best player. Obviously, you can make arguments for a lot of other people, but best recruit, which is saying something. And I think Auburn would have, I think Bruce Pearl would have like four of the top five signees in Auburn history at that point if he were to sign. Um, One of which is Mustafa Heron, who didn't stick around at Auburn. He ended up transferring to St. John's, as we all know. But um, I just had some conversations with a reporter um, on Thursday who's deep into recruiting. Um also, based off of other conversations I've had with people around the Auburn basketball program, there aren't even coaches, and um, that like the timing of his potential announcement. 
Um, when could it come? I mean, you can't really like quote me on this, say it's this, but uh, you know, I, I've heard around McDonald's all American game, maybe at the game itself. Would it be Auburn? That's my guess right now. So, so that's what I'm saying today. Doesn't mean I'm going to be right. <laughs> I can't predict what a 17 year old kid's going to do or however old he is. I've never even talked to the kid. So Carlisle 621 asks, I know we've had to talk. We have talked a lot about the situation at offensive line and how we got here. Maybe recap that. Oh, man, I really don't want to. I mean, no offense, Carlisle, but I don't want to recap the offensive line stuff again. Seems like every podcast I have to do that. Then the question of how Chad Morris might impact the offensive line play through his play calling and input on recruiting. Okay, simply put, bad recruiting and then a couple of kids not panning out hurt Auburn's offensive line. It started in the very final year of J.B. Grimes's first stint at Auburn, and then it continued in Herb Hand's two years at Auburn. Uh, he was just dreadful recruiting. Media loves him, but he did not do a good job at Auburn recruiting and setting the table for the future. Um, okay, coach, um, but he, he did not set the table well recruiting-wise. Is it his fault? Yes, partially. Is it Gus Malzahn's fault? Absolutely. Um, he oversees it, and he handpicks a lot of these kids on the offensive side of the ball that they recruit. It's up to Gus Malzahn. He's very hands-on with that stuff. So that's why Auburn's in the position they're in. They had to go in and get kind of like table scraps. And that's nothing against Jack Driscoll, but Jack Driscoll, they had to go to the transfer market to find someone that they didn't initially recruit or develop themselves. Jack Driscoll did a good job at Auburn for, at right tackle for two years. But they had to do that. Um, but now they're losing four of their five starters, uh, not counting, of course, the center position where Caleb Kim got benched midway through the season and, and Nick Brahms came in and started and he'll be the starter next year at center. How will Chad Morris impact things? Uh, I don't know exactly like what his direct impact will be, to be honest. I mean, play calling, if he's given full control, there'll be different things. Will a blocking scheme be different? Probably not necessarily. Um, um, and recruiting a lot of offensive line recruiting and literally a lot of positions, it's based off of your area, uh, your geographic area, not your area of expertise, so to speak. So if you are recruiting the Georgia area, like Rodney Garner does and gets a lot of great players out of there, it's not just defensive linemen he's going after. He's, he's recruiting offensive linemen too, and receivers and everything. So a lot of it depends on that. Chad Morris is, has some really good connections in Georgia and Florida based off what I've been told uh, because of his previous connections when he was re recruiting at Clemson as the offensive coordinator there's, you know, five years ago, I guess now, six years ago. Um, and he also has some connections in Texas. You've been seeing a lot more Texas names come up here these last couple of months than we've seen, I, I would venture to say, ever in Auburn history. Uh, to be quite honest, you, I mean, look, go go find a media almanac for Auburn football. You can find them online and go look at the history of letter winners at Auburn and the amount of t players from Texas. It's incredible how few there have been. So that's been the impact Morris has had on recruiting. I don't know if it's going to have an impact on offensive line recruiting, so to speak. But Auburn's got to get better in that department. We all know that. We'll see. You don't know until they start playing. 
And I don't know about this season. I just don't. Anybody sits there and says, yeah, they're going to be fine or no, they're going to be bad. They have no idea what they're talking about because no one knows, not even the coaches. Okay, next question. <laughs> On the bottom, get a message board. Big sexy for AU. I personally don't believe Isaac Okoro is coming back, but I'm going to ask this question anyways. Everyone is pretty much saying Okoro is definitely leaving. Is that speculation based on how high he's projected to go, or is it similar to Noah Igbenogany in football, where he's made it known he's leaving at the end of the season? Um, you know, I haven't heard of Okoro telling coaches or anybody, hey, I'm leaving after this year. But how often do you see lottery picks in the NBA draft go, nah, I'm going to stay for another year? Not saying it can't happen. But the way Bruce Pearl talks him up, I mean, even this week, I mean, he's he's injured right now, as we all know, with a hamstring injury. And by the time you listen to this, we'll know maybe whether he plays against Georgia on Wednesday night or not. But, you know, listen, the, the guy, yes, he's a little raw, but man, he's a heck of a defender. He's got so much upside. And that's a guy that could drop 20 points any night, even when he has a bad night. Um. And a lot of people are projecting him as a lottery pick. Bruce Pearl has made it known, hey, if you're a first-round guy, this is to anybody. If you're a first-round guy, you need to go. You need to leave. Go make that money. You only have so many years on your basketball life. So if Okoro gets good advice that, hey, yeah, you're going to be a first-round pick, I don't see how he sticks around. Unless there's just this weird desire, not weird desire, but there's a desire pulling in him thinking, okay, I'll be okay if I sit out a year and try to win a championship at Auburn with Sharif Cooper and maybe some other five-star players. But that's a lot That's a lot of ifs, you know, and, and, and hypotheticals for him to consider when the hard fact of the matter is he could be told pretty much, hey, you're going to be a first-round guy and you know you're going to make millions of dollars. All right, Kudzo Killer or excuse me, not killer, killer, kudzu killer, excuse me, I even mispronounced it, uh, kudzu. Have we, questions about the defense, all right? Uh, looks like he's actually asked about basketball defense, so here we go. Why have we switched from trying to cause turnovers to locking down teams for whole shot clocks? Uh, I guess maybe you're talking about maybe Auburn playing a little bit more zone. The zone has worked for Auburn quite a bit, even though against Alabama, the Alabama shooting threes all over them. I also think that the work in the zone a little bit probably rests Auburn more uh, against teams because um, we all know Auburn's been playing all these overtime games. Um, Kudzu also asked, what is going on structurally with our three-point defense? It's the worst in the SEC and has been two years in a row. I, I don't know. I'm not a coach. I, I, but they have been playing a lot of zone. Sometimes they don't get a hand up. Sometimes if you just give a shooter a split second to fire – even if you've got a hand in their face as they're releasing the ball, it doesn't matter. It's like it's like pulling the trigger on a gun, <clears throat> you know, and you've already pulled the trigger and someone bumps into you and they're like, oh no. You're like, no, that didn't affect the shot. The I've already fired. I know that doesn't make much sense, but you know what I mean. It's just like a split second thing that doesn't really matter. And that's kind of what Auburn's in. The situation with defense. Well, just just from the layman. From, from me watching it, it's like, well, yeah, he got a hand up, but it was right when the guy had already locked in on the basket and shot. And it certainly is a trend because they've allowed bad shooting teams, including Mizzou, to shoot well 
from three-point range. That's Auburn. That's an Auburn problem. That's not, hey, teams are just getting hot. Which leads to your next question. What's going on that is causing us to allow at least one opposing player to go for 30-plus each night? It's becoming a trend. Yes, it's a trend. And it's defense. It's just bad defense. Um, Auburn has managed, though, to pretty much shut down uh, their best players, the, the opponent's best players. Though that's kind of slowed here a little bit. But it, someone else always steps up for the other team because Auburn's focusing so much on the other guys. Um, you know, there was a point in the non-conference season when I said this team defensively is better than the team defensively last season in the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament because they played their tails off defensively, I thought, in the postseason. And I got some tweets from people going, well, duh, of course, this team's better defensively because Auburn was holding all the leading scorers under their average or holding every team under their average. But here of late, even in wins, Auburn's allowing a lot of points, high field goal percentage. And I wonder, you know, there's Auburn prides itself on being fresh and rotating guys, but I do wonder if Auburn's getting a little tired, and that's maybe why they're playing zone a little bit more so they can rest their legs. But something's got to change defensively. Is it effort? Is it the players? Is it the lineup? I don't know. I do know this. It does seem like the defense and the offense changes us quite a bit when Austin Wiley gets going offensively. It seems the defense gets a lot better. Man, it's just me. That's my mind eye telling me that. I don't get, you know, breakdowns of film or anything like that. Or I'm not a coach. But that's just in the layman term of me watching it. That's what I see. Now, I can ask a coach that, but, you know, I don't cover basketball uh, for us. Uh, Mark Murphy does that. Um, you know, but if it, you know, if it continues at Georgia, it's certainly something to look into and maybe I ask about. But I don't know if, you know, Bruce Pearl would technically go into the, you know, the uh, the, the technicalities of it. Of Well, you know, when we're running this 2-3, this is what's happening, and so-and-so is being slow-footed, and this guy's not communicating correctly. You know, coaches rarely call out their players for making big mistakes. You know what I mean? Uh, good questions. Uh, on to AU Tiger. Is that an L or an I? I can't see. The font's weird. Okay, sorry. Do we know if the offensive position coaches for football will decide who plays this year? And that's not Gus micromanaging. Also with five tight ends on scholarship and no seniors. Will Morris back off that recruiting in 2020? I don't know your the answer to tight end thing, but I would assume so. It just makes sense from a numbers perspective. I don't know about the position coaches thing. I don't. That's up to Chad Morris if he has full control. Does Chad Morris have full control? We'll see when the season starts. Actually, we'll see by like week four <laughs> if he actually has full control. Um, Skullpack asks, how is baseball recruiting evaluated? And why doesn't 24-7 sports have a baseball target slash commit area? I understand baseball is a little different when the player is eligible after high school and that recruiting isn't your thing. But I was hoping to maybe get a little insight. Uh, you know, I can't speak for 24-7 sports or the recruiting guys or anything like that, uh, the recruiting folks. Um, but from my standpoint, you know, baseball recruiting is such a huge task to undertake and there's so little of it actually being covered by other outlets um, and actual, I mean, I'm sure if someone put some money behind it, they could own that area, but you know, baseball isn't quite, you know, a subscription driver or uh, you know, something that gets your attention uh, from the mass for the masses um, football and basketball do football 
a lot more than basketball. You can imagine how small baseball would be, but it would be interesting. I mean, I think, I think perfect game for a while. And of course, baseball America, I think perfect game for a while actually built a recruiting database, but I don't think they do it anymore. At least I, I never see it tweeted about or anything like that on social media. I don't follow college baseball very closely. I know they try to do it. And some of their stuff was very outdated because listen, there was, there's just so many players that are eligible to be drafted and then also be recruited. I mean, there, I mean, how many drafts are there in, or how many rounds are there in the NBL MLB draft? That, that would be a huge undertaking for someone to build a team, to build a, like a recruiting database for baseball. So that, that's kind of my guess on it. Why there's not, you know, more coverage of it. It's just so difficult to, to get that all done. You know, it's just too many, too many people, not enough manpower to cover it all. Old Duffer asked, did the board of trustees look for anyone else other than Jay Goosh? Why did he come out of retirement permanently to come back full-time? He retired a few years ago. What changed? Oh, are you talking about when the board of trustees said we're going to remove the interim tag? That doesn't mean Jay Goosh is going to be the president in a year or two. I mean, they're still going to be looking for a president. Uh, Tiger Trainer 7 have you seen the Gotham series? Is that not the best DC theme show there is? Movies need to take a look at that directing. I haven't really. I watched two episodes, the very first two episodes when it debuted, and I, I was very bored, and I thought it was cheesy, and I don't care about a Batman story before when Batman's a child. You got to get something that hooks me. That show did not hook me. The guy who was playing Penguin seemed interesting, but it. I, I don't want to invest four years into a show to see so I could see Batman at the in the last episode. And what I did watch seemed cheesy. Anyway, uh, more questions coming your way after these messages. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG. All right, now we head to Twitter for questions to wrap up the show here. We go to Rusty Allen. With an athletic budget of over $100 million, can we not give better scholarships for baseball? Last I heard, they were partial scholarships and not many of them. Obviously, we have a very good coach, if not great. Investing in this program seems to make more sense. Rusty, um, uh, technically, well, not technically, it's instantly law. Auburn can't offer over a certain amount of scholarships. I can't remember what the number is because I don't cover baseball, but you can't give everybody a full scholarship in baseball. It's not how it works. That's why a lot of states, especially Mississippi recently, which I believe just got the lottery, fight for the lottery or have the lottery because they can give lottery scholarships or lottery back scholarships, um, academic scholarships to a lot of these kids to help with the baseball program, to help supplement uh, their tuition package. Because rarely, do do you know more than two or three baseball players get full scholarships on a roster? It's usually you get you know a third or half, um, and that's an NCAA thing. You know they can't give out twenty full scholarships; they're not allowed. Do I think that's fair? I good question. I don't. I don't think it's fair. But hey, I'm not I'm not the NCAA. Paul B. Thompson asks, does Jay Jake, oh, Jay Jacobs deserve more credit for the good run in Auburn sports over the last couple of years? Good basketball, golf, equestrian, softball, and baseball teams. Football is okay, too. 
Yeah, I think he deserves credit, definitely. I also think he deserves some of the blame because he made some bad hires in some of those sports, too. I mean, listen, he did hire Gene Chizik, brought a championship. He hired Tony Barbie, the worst coach in Auburn sports history. He hired Clint Myers, which got Auburn to the College World Series a couple times, but then we all know what happened there. It, you know, it's, just, it's, it's like a meteorite hit. The softball program had this high success, and then boom, is gone. Um, he hired Sonny Galloway. It might be the second worst hire he's ever made behind Tony Barbie, in my opinion. Um, maybe the worst. I don't know. Um, he didn't hire Butch Thompson the first time when he should have, when his name was being pushed around by a lot of people. Um, and people were talking to me about him too, you know, those years ago. I guess I was in my first spring here when Sonny Galloway was hired. Um, we actually broke it. Uh, but, you know, Bush Thompson, I knew him from my time covering Mississippi State, highly respected coach, not just in Alabama because of his ties to the state of Alabama, but throughout college baseball. Heck of a recruiter. Probably one, probably the best pitching coach you'll find in college baseball. But now he's here, so that's great. So, in a way, you know, Jay Jacobs corrected two mistakes. Baseball by hiring Bush Thompson the second go-around, and then basketball by hiring Bruce Pearl when Bruce Pearl was still in show cause penalty area for a few months before getting off that in like in August when he hired him in March of 2014. Um, so yeah, I mean, Jay Jacobs definitely deserves credit for some for those hires. Absolutely, because that those were Jay hires. Jay went after those people. Bruce Pearl, he I mean, I remember the night Tony Barbie was fired, we had a list ready to go of candidates, and Bruce Pearl was front and center number one because that I mean that name was being thrown around the athletics department weeks before Tony Barbie was fired. They were saying, Hey, I mean, I had I had someone even come up to me asking, How do you think the public and the nation would react to us hiring Bruce Pearl, a, a coach that's still on a show cost. I mean, they, they were like openly, it was like the worst kept secret that they were going to go after Bruce Pearl if they fired Tony Barbie, which was obvious. Um, so yeah, I mean, Jay Jacobs made some good hires. Um, you know, equestrian, even though it's, I guess, not a, NCAA sport. It's an NCEA sport. I mean, they've just been amazing. Amazing. I guess the one thing you could say that's taken a hit over the last 10 years is swimming and diving. You know? Um, let me think. What else? Golf? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the NCAA tournament run they've made in both men's and women's over the last six, seven years. Yeah. I think Jay Jacobs deserves a lot of credit, but a lot, two two of those hires, but they were in the smaller sports backfired, and that was softball, which was just a big flash of success, and then it just all came crumbling down. And then Sonny Galloway in baseball wasn't a good hire for Auburn; just didn't fit. Uh, Zachary Dackery Doc, <laughs> that's a heck of a name, asks, "What do you think the bat symbol is made of?" Are you talking about the, he's talking about the uh, new, the Batman movie coming out with Robert Pattinson. 
Uh, he says, I like the idea that it's made from the gun that killed Bruce's parents. Um, yeah, I like that too. Actually, it's in, there's like there are a couple of comic versions of that. It doesn't look like that on his chest. It's usually underneath his outfit as armor, um, but to show it like literally on his chest, um, I, I get it. I think it would be an, an excellent move because Batman in the comics, we all know he he pretty much collects little trinkets from his enemies. He always done that, you know, whether it was a coin uh, from Two Face. Um, uh, you know, or uh, even a dinosaur uh, that everybody always wonders when they see that in like the Lego Batman movie, like, why is there a dinosaur in the cave? Um, you know, so I like that idea that he got a hold of because the, the whole thing is he always gets a hold of the uh pearls from his mother that the uh, the the uh, shooter, uh, Joe Chill, usually or whoever, usually gets a hold of when he kills his parents. So why wouldn't he maybe get the gun if the guy dropped the gun or they confiscated the gun? You know what I mean? Um, Bruce Wayne is psychotic. That's the whole thing. Bruce Wayne is a psychotic. And, and that hasn't been really told very well in these movies. And I think they might be going for that in this new one. I don't know. But I like that idea because it's been explored before that in his chest plate, literally his symbol is made of the gun that killed his parents. And that's why he swears off guns, why he never uses a gun. Unless you're Zack Snyder and you decide to make a Batman versus Superman movie and Batman's got a machine gun on his Batmobile killing everybody. But that's a quite thing for another day. <laughs> uh, Jared Sinski wants to get back to Auburn. With T-Will's new responsibilities, is Auburn doing whatever it can to help keep him until Kevin Steele finishes out his contract and then promising, or promoting, excuse me, Travis to defensive coordinator? I didn't know he was already co-defensive coordinator until I read your piece on his recruiting coordinator duties, says Jared. Um, yeah, he was promoted to co-defensive coordinator actually in February 2019, so uh, almost exactly a year ago. Um, and this new recruiting coordinator thing, I... People might not want to hear this, but there's really not a recruiting coordinator <laughs> on the football staff. They don't really coordinate like, hey, are you going out here and you're doing that? It's pretty much just an added title so you can get a pay boost. So in that area, you could say, hey, they're doing this to appease him and maybe keep him on board longer. Yeah, sure. Maybe there's something to that. But it also builds up his resume because, listen, he's only been a football coach for a few years you know, on the professional level after being a grad assistant and analyst. So T-Will's got a humongous gigantic bright future in front of him i think we all know that he's done a great job recruiting and he's done a great great job with the linebackers just fantastic and our final question comes from take a knee what happens with gene chiswick and auburn if he doesn't hire both scott leffler and brian van gorder in 2012 i don't think anyone knew at that time just how dreadful both those coordinators were um you know listen I think it just sped up the process. It was just going to, it's just going to be a matter of time for any coach, really. I mean, let's be honest. It's just going to come a matter of time before you get fired or you leave for another job or you're forced out. Gene Chizik's process got sped up that year because one, Leffler and Van Gorder were bad. Two, you know, the players. You know, just didn't buy into everything. And when they started losing, everything just kind of fell apart. 
and there was other off the field stuff that was going on in our Gene Chiswick that 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 one fans didn't like, and then also uh, the administration didn't like, and secondly it was affecting the chemistry on the team. I mean, that was a year, was it not, when Sammy Coates came out as a freshman or whatever, and was all like, "We got to st- step up. We need leaders and all this." Uh, it just wasn't a good locker room, but um, I think it would have just delayed the inevitable by maybe another two two years or three years. I think at some point Gus Malzahn probably would have been the head coach at Auburn. You know, maybe he would have been Arkansas State for two years instead of just one, or maybe he would have been Arkansas State for two years and then went on to you know North Carolina or something. I don't know, but I think he would have ended up at Auburn no matter what at some point. When? Maybe 2015 it would have happened. You know, I don't know. Um, but certainly the hirings of Weffler and Brian Van Gorder sped things up and it had a domino effect, especially Leffler, because that offense was terrible, as you guys know. I, it was terrible. I wasn't here covering Auburn in 2012. I was covering Mississippi State, but I remember that day Auburn came in. Auburn was ranked in Starkville, and – uh, Kyle Frazier threw what, like four interceptions, if I recall, in that game. And the offense looked so horrible. And I remember <clears throat> a linebacker, um, oh, what was his name? What was his name? I can't believe I'm forgetting it. Anyway, he was a linebacker for Mississippi State. And during the game, he was pointing out where every play was going. Nearly every, nearly every play. And I remember talking to him afterward, and he was like, yeah, we knew exactly what was coming, practically on every snap. So <laughs> there you go. Auburn got four picks, I think, that day, right? I know, I know Jonathan Banks, who won the Thorpe Award that year, I think, ended up having multiple interceptions in that game. So anyway, all right, guys, thanks for joining me for this Q&A episode of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. As always, go to auburn.247sports.com for much more coverage. Uh, By the end of the day, Wednesday, our two months for $1 deal is expiring. So make sure you subscribe if you're not subscribed already because that deal will go away, I think, at 10.59 p.m. Wednesday night. So for $1, you can get coverage through the Final Four and through all of spring practices. So make sure you go sign up today at auburn.247sports.com. Until next time, I'll see you down the road. No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go undercover with Auburn Undercover.